Scripture this morning is Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Thank you, Aaron. We're particularly blessed this morning to have Grady Bueller back with us, this tall gentleman beside me. Uh, Grady is uh, no stranger to us. He's spoken uh, before, but uh, we're just really pleased that uh, he is able to come. Grady is a deacon at St. Timothy Church. And uh, did you speak there this morning as well? I did. Ooh, so he's working hard today. So I'll just pray for Grady before he starts. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for this uh, man uh, uh, that you have provided for us to, uh, to bring your word here this morning. We pray your blessing on him, your anointing, that uh, the words of his mouth will uh, touch our hearts, that they will be from you, and uh, we pray, pray blessings on him and on Carly and on the family, uh, and we do all this in Jesus' name. morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 111. Now, I was uh, talking with Carly last night as uh, we were going to bed, wondering how many times I've preached here, and we decided on somewhere between three and five, we think, but I'm not totally sure. Um, In any case, I always feel such a warm welcome when I'm here, and I want to thank you for that. Um, And I can tell you that many of you have the gift of encouragement, and I have experienced that firsthand. So thanks very much for your warmth. Psalm 111. This psalm is an acrostic poem, meaning that each line of the psalm begins with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So the psalm is organized not necessarily chronologically or even thematically, but alphabetically. My sermon is organized thematically, so please forgive me if I jump around and back and forth between the verses. It'll be helpful to have the text in front of you as we go. A central theme in Psalm 111 is the study and remembrance of the Lord's works. Yes, the psalmist is concerned with God's mighty acts themselves, but he is also concerned with the importance of God's people calling to mind the things that God has done. Look at verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord 
studied by all who delight in them. This psalm also tells us that God himself wants his works to be remembered. Verse 4 says that the Lord has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. So why all this stress on the study and remembrance of God's works? Certainly it gives God glory when we remember before him what he has done. And that is a good enough reason in and of itself. But there is also this. The Lord knows how easily we forget him and his works. And he knows the consequences of our forgetfulness. In Deuteronomy 8, and in many other places in Scripture, God solemnly warns Israel not to forget the Lord and what he has done for them. And yet that is exactly what they did. They started to believe that it was by their own might that they were delivered from Egypt, by their own power that they conquered Canaan, and by their own deserving that they inherited the land. And so they went after other gods, the gods of the nations around them. And let's not think that this is uh, an Old Testament problem. St. Paul had to write a letter to the Galatians precisely because they had forgotten Christ's work on the cross and what was accomplished there, and instead were focused on their own works and justifying themselves through observance of the law. In the book of Revelation, Jesus scolds the church of Ephesus because they had forgotten their first love. The reason that we are exhorted to remember the works of the Lord in Scripture is that left to ourselves, we will forget. The world around us, our own sinful nature, and the evil one are all constantly drawing our eyes away from the works of the Lord. And it's been like this since the beginning. Remember in the garden what the serpent said to Eve, Did God really say you shouldn't eat that? Are you sure? Is that really what God said? The serpent is trying to give Eve amnesia. When we stop remembering the Lord's works, we naturally begin to believe that the works of the world are good. Our conception of God becomes distorted, and we begin to fashion a God in our own image. Ultimately, this leads to a life absorbed in the selfish pursuits of power, pleasure, honor, and wealth. And these pursuits lead to death. That's why we need Psalm 111. To remind us to remember the Lord and what he has done. Now, there are a number of things in this psalm that the psalmist exhorts us to remember. Let's go through and look at them. Number one, God is unfathomably greater than we can think or conceive. Look at verse two. Great are the works of the Lord. Verse three, full of splendor and majesty is his work. Verse six, he has shown his people the power of his works. Verse 10, holy and awesome is his name. The new atheists would try to convince us that the God of the Bible is small, petty, and that belief in him is akin to believing in Santa Claus or a genie. But when we look at scripture, 
We were reminded with St. Paul in Colossians that Jesus the Lord is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is no Santa Claus. God is greater than we can fathom or comprehend. He is the ground of all being, the source of all life, and the sustainer of all things. Secondly, we are reminded by Psalm 111 that God is good. Look at verse 3. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 7. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Verse 8. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. The goodness of the Lord is one of the first things that we forget. We forget that he's trustworthy. When all we can see is ourselves, our immediate circumstances, our suffering, our stress, we forget the goodness of the Lord and that he can be trusted. When we return to the scriptures, we remember that we are the ones that are not good. No, not one. And that God is goodness itself and can be trusted. We remember that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And ultimately, God sent his own son for our good that we might share in his perfect goodness. God is good. Thirdly, this psalm reminds us that, verse 4, the Lord is gracious and merciful. How we need to be reminded of this. I know that many of us have a default conception of God as a kind of cosmic ogre with a club, just waiting to hammer us. (laughs) And many of us have relationships with our earthly fathers that we project on our heavenly father, how we need uh, scripture to remind us that God is gracious and merciful. Yes, he is perfectly just. And yes, he is perfectly holy. But we need Ephesians to remind us that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So when we feel the weight of condemnation, often rightly because of our sin and weakness, We need to remember that the Lord is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. Number four, Psalm 111 reminds us that it is ultimately God who provides. Look at verse five. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. We live in an age of the self-made man and the self-made woman. We are told we can do anything if we believe in ourselves and work hard enough. 
We can achieve. We can succeed. And when we gain riches and influence and power, we deserve it because it was our doing. Contrast that with 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Ultimately, God is the one that gives us life itself. He gives us our abilities and our gifts. And even when we use our time and talents and treasures to serve the Lord, we are simply returning to him what is rightfully his to begin with. David was right when he said, All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. It is God who provides. Number five, we are reminded that God has given us an inheritance. Look at verse six. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. Now, the immediate context of this verse is Israel's inheritance of the land and their victory over the surrounding nations. But, of course, on this side of the cross, we interpret this through the lens of Christ. Peter picks up this theme of, of our inheritance in his first epistle. Listen to what he has to say. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. How often do we get caught up in our current circumstances with our blinders on, our current sufferings and the temporary cares of this life? We need to be reminded that though this life is sometimes difficult, We have an inheritance with the saints in light. In the Old Testament, the hope of Israel was the inheritance of Jerusalem. But our hope is the Jerusalem that is above. As Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. We need to be reminded that we have an inheritance. And finally, number six, at the climax of Psalm 111, the psalmist exhorts us to remember the one thing that we must not forget, the one thing that must be remembered, that God has redeemed us. Verse nine, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Peter picks up this theme as well in his epistle. He says that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. If we forget everything else, we must not forget this. Ephesians 1.7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This redemption is not only the climax of the psalm, it's the climax of of the whole of scripture is the climax of history is the climax of everything our redemption in and through Christ is so central that Paul could say to the Corinthians I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified 
Our Lord himself so wanted us to remember our redemption through his body and blood that he commanded us to celebrate a meal in remembrance of it. Remember what he said, do this in remembrance of me. But alas, how the church gets sidetracked from the cross. We get distracted by other good and well-meaning things like community and relationships. Those things are good, but we forget that by nature we are alienated from God and alienated from each other and that we need to be reconciled to God through his cross and through his blood we must be reconciled to each other if we're to have any hope of community or whatever, relationships. That's one example. Or we're concerned about being relevant. We want our message to be relevant. This too is well-meaning. But we forget that as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the cross is foolishness to the world. And that the natural man, as he says, cannot accept the message of the cross because it is spiritually discerned. Only by a miracle of the Holy Spirit can someone come to belief in the cross of Christ. Our job is to proclaim the cross and let God do his work. So we must not get distracted. We must not forget. We, like St. Paul, must resolve to remember nothing but Christ and him crucified. Now, what are all the results of this remembering that we're called to do? What does it produce in us when by the Holy Spirit we remember what God has done? Psalm 111 tells us that it produces two things. Number one, praise. And number two, the fear of the Lord. First, praise. Look at verse one. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. His praise endures forever. And secondly, the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. After hearing of all that God has done in his mighty works, the only appropriate response is one of awe in the presence of such a God. And this awe motivates us to be wise, living a a life of humble response to what God has done. So where does this leave us in terms of an application? Firstly, this. We cannot remember the works of God unless we immerse ourselves in the word of God. The Bible is the great story of what we have what God has done. To neglect the Bible is to forget what God has done. The reason daily Bible reading is so important is not because it gains any merit with God. It's not so that we can check it off our list and say, yep, I did that today. It's not because it's what good Christians do. The reason daily Bible reading is so important is that beyond the sacred page, 
we see the crucified and the risen Christ and everything that he has done for us. Through the scriptures, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Through the scriptures, we see ourselves and we see God and we see the world through God's lens. Without the scriptures, we revert to our sinful understanding of of the greatness of ourselves, the greatness of the world, and the smallness of God. I don't know about you, but for me, there is a direct connection between my time spent or lack of time spent in the Word and the level of sin in my life. There's a confession for you. If I stop remembering the Lord in Scripture, I stop remembering Him in my thoughts, in my actions, and in all areas of my life. I wonder, is that true for you? And secondly, by, by way of application, there's this. In this message, we've looked at what God has objectively done for us, ultimately at the cross. But it's also important to remember how that has been subjectively applied in my life and in your life. When, we walk, when we're tempted to walk away from the Lord, it's so important to look back at what the Lord has done. Yesterday I spent some time reflecting on how the Lord has worked in my own life. I think of the faithfulness of my grandparents and the godly legacy that Frank and Lois and Ed and Mary have given to my family. I think of how the Lord came to my dad after the death of his mom in his early teens and how that event was pivotal in calling him to the ministry and shaping the life of our family from that point on. I think of when I was five years old How convicted I felt over my sins as I watched golf with my dad on a Sunday afternoon after church. And how he invited me to give my life to Jesus. I remember the grace of my baptism at age 14. I remember how providentially in the summer of 99, the Lord mercifully put me in the path of a beautiful girl named Carly Ewens. I remember how 12 years ago, the owner of a small coffee company called J.J. Bean offered me a temporary job. I remember how God came to us in the hard times. I remember how God inhabited the hospital room of my brother-in-law, Spencer, during his fight with leukemia. I remember how the Lord comforted us during my son Frank's surgery and helmet therapy. I remember how the Lord has brought me through struggles with anxiety. I remember the first time we sat in a little Anglican church called St. Timothy's and how we knew it was the place for us. I remember a litany of names, godly men and women in my life who have pointed me towards the Lord over the years. I remember my ordination. God has worked in my life. His stamp is all over my life. It's nothing that I have done, but all of what he has done. It makes me want to say with the psalmist, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. 
Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. That's my story. What are the great works that the Lord has done in your life? Are you remembering them? Do you look back and see his mark? So there's our twofold application. Today, let us remember what God has done, both objectively by immersing ourselves in Scripture and how that has been subjectively applied providentially in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your great goodness. We give you thanks for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, for our redemption through his blood. We give you thanks for what you have done for Sutherland Church, and we give you thanks for how you have worked individually in each of our lives. We ask you that you would make us to remember what you have done. That we may respond not only with our lips, but in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.